Before we get into this week's episode, we want to tell you about the people that make this show possible. Like our friends over at SeatGeek.com this summer, this fall. The promo code is GOZ. Promo code GOZ. With your ticket purchase over $50. The first time you do it, $20 off. Promo code GOZ at SeatGeek.com. If you're going to the new Bruce Springsteen concert that was just announced in Albany, if you're heading to the Albany Empire game, whatever it might be, Syracuse football, games, and more this upcoming fall and summer. If you're a sports fan, you love concerts, you love movies, whatever it might be. Movies? Uh, maybe not so much movies, but sports concerts, games, and more. SeatGeek.com is your place. SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code GOZ. G-O-Z. $20 off your first purchase. $20 off. Promo code GOZ. G-O-Z. This summer. SeatGeek.com. If you're looking to trade in your vehicle this summer, the spot to do it is at Mohawk Honda, Glenville, New York. Proud sponsors of Godzilla Media and of this show. If you're looking for a new vehicle, whoever it might be, maybe for yourself, maybe for a family member or a friend, tell them about Mohawk Honda. Tell them about how you heard it on this show and they are buying your vehicle. And not just buying your vehicle, quite possibly buying the vehicle for more than you originally paid for it. They want to do it this summer. It's a weird time right now with the supply chain still all over the place that you can get that cost, money in your pocket, and a new ride. Mohawk Honda wants to help you do it. I know from experience, 2022 Pilot EXL, driving it around the Capital Region. I can afford it. I love the vehicle. It's great for my family and more. You want to have those bragging rights when you've got a new vehicle, and you can do it right now. Mohawk Honda is the spot for you in Glenville, New York. Say what's up to Cam McKenna, Brian McKenna, Lindsey Harding, Greg Johnson, and more. Mohawk Honda. Glenville, New York, that's the spot to stop into. If you're looking for a new vehicle, stop in Mohawk Honda, where they always go out of their way to please you. And our friends over at Johnstone Supply in Troy, you're looking to stay cool all summer long. The spot for you to get that new AC unit is Johnstone Supply in Troy. Check them out on 6th Avenue in Troy. We're giving a call today at 518-272-5922. Shout out to our guy George and Kev and Tom and James and everybody over at Johnstone Supply in Troy, helping you stay cool this summer get that new ac unit maybe you just busted this july maybe you're just looking to make that change and if you're working on those great summer projects the best spot to get those tools with a competitive price in store sixth avenue johnstone supply in troy we love johnstone supply in troy helping us since day one here on godzilla media check them out on social media as well facebook johnstone supply ny looking forward to being some Johnstone Supply. Tom's going to be representing the fantasy football team this year. Get ready for him coming back as well. Tools, Johnstone Supply and Troy. And the new AC unit, the ductless splits, Fujitsu, and more. They're going to help you out with it. One more time for the number. Save it. Share it with a friend. 518-272-5922. Now, on to this week's episode of Getting There with Gaz. <laughs> Another episode here of Getting There with Gaz, where we talk about the career journeys of athletes, coaches, business owners, and more from upstate New York. Gavlet Region sports fans know this guy. He is James Allen. James Allen, for those who might not be familiar with you, take us back. A younger version of you, six, seven, eight years old. Where'd you grow up? What'd you want to be as a kid? And was that same dream job you wanted when you were 18 years old? Uh, well, guys, I, I grew up in Naval Park, and, and I definitely wanted to be 
involved with sports. I, I didn't really know if it was going to be what it ultimately turned out to be. Um, I was certainly I played everything, and um, you know I, I always aspired to do this job. But back in that time, you know I was one of the first people in the in the market that did all three mediums. But back then you couldn't you know if you were in the newspapers, you know that was all you could do. And I was definitely afraid of having to do obituaries. I, I was afraid that I was going to get somebody's middle initial wrong and that was going to be the end of it. And you'd have to work your way into sports because newspaper business was a lot different back then. And uh, so I sort of taught myself out of it. So I, I came to it a little, not late, late, but I came into it later than just high school. But, you know, going, I, I, getting out of high school, I wasn't thinking this was going to be my career path at all. It was funny because my best friend actually talked me into it. I got to hear that story, man. What, what, was it as soon as 18? How does it happen? What, how does your best friend get you into this? Like, no, no, this no. Actually, uh, okay. I, went in, I went into the service. I was, I was at Hudson Valley. I was putting myself through school, and I was working like crazy to do it. And I, I got the GI Bill. I said, I'm going to go overseas. I'm going to see the world. And when I came back, actually, it was the night before I was playing in a, a, a national uh, qualifier softball tournament. And um, his my, my best friend at the time was living with me, and his girlfriend were out. And I was watching local news and watching names being mispronounced and facts being wrong. And I, I, I found myself at the end of this, you know, sportscast screaming at the TV. And my friend happened to walk in and he's like, I don't understand why you're going to school for business because you know more about sports than anybody I know and probably ever will know. And I don't know why you're doing what you're doing. So why don't you, you know, go, go pursue that path. So ironically enough, at the time, the Albany College Yankees were were going and the general manager of the Albany College Yankees was in a guy by the name of Rip Rowan. And a lot of people around this area will know who that is. He used to be the, the sports director of Channel 10. And I, I went to him and said, I think I want to do this as a career. So can I, um, you know, can I interview some of the guys and, and see if this is what I want to do? And he was he was open to it. At the time, Buck Showalter was the manager. Bernie Williams was playing center field and the team got off to a 70 and 20 start that year. And their intern in radio was none other than Mark Hessischer, my buddy. So we broke into the business together actually that year in 1989. And uh, by the end of that season, uh, I got a job at the record. Wait a second, wait a second. We got to backpedal here a little bit because I knew going into this conversation, you know, I've been trying to track you down for a year. I knew you had a unique story, but I didn't realize it was this unique. First, thank you for your service. You were the first person here on Getting There with Gons who has served and has a media background, business owner background, all the different backgrounds. You're the first to do that. So again, thank you for your service. Let's go back here. So you get the job, you never, after the service, decide you're going to go to one of these traditional broadcasting schools and try it there? Guys, like, no, people that could do, you know, you know how the business is now. Doing what, how I did it back then, you, you wouldn't be able to do it the way I did it. Um, I got into the paper when I was in, still in school. Um, I didn't finish four years because I had a full-time job by that time, and, and, and it just didn't work out. But, um, yeah, I mean, I was really fortunate that that Rip Rowan and, and the AC Yankees did that for me. And I'll never forget when they won the championship that year. It's sort of weird that, you know, that season ticket holders could, uh, you know, had had the, had the, you know, the group, you know, they were able to follow the season. And then when they got to the playoffs, a lot of kids, you know, left town. So there wasn't the, the attendance wasn't that big, but they won the championship that year. And, and, you know, they always had a cooling down period after the, you know, the game. And so they beat uh, they beat. They won the championship. They won easily, won three games to zero. And we we're standing outside the, the locker room after and Mark and I were standing there. And then one of the clubhouse guys go, you and you, and he points to Mark and I, and, and Buck wants to see you in the, in the, in the, in, in there. And I'm like, Oh man, what are they going to do to us? Is this rookie initiation or what, what are they, what's going to happen? And, uh, 
he got up and, and said, you know, we really enjoyed being around both of you guys. And uh, we're having a celebration at a now defunct Cranberry Bog on Wolf Road. And you guys want to join us after? I'm like, well, yeah, sure. You know, that'd be cool. You know, I wasn't, a, I wasn't really a reporter yet. I, it was just about like a, three weeks later I got the job. But um, that was kind of, that was a nice initiation that both of us, we had a good experience. You know, a lot of times you get, you get that first experience, you, you might not, it might not be always favorable, but for both of us, it was, it was great. And Mark and I obviously worked together later. We we did the radio with the Firebirds together. And I almost went to Cleveland when he went to Cleveland. Uh, the guy was running Albany Broadcast where I, work, where I worked at. Um, he wanted me to go there as well. But I didn't want to take a chance because the they had the, the rights to the Indians and, I, and they wanted me to do pregame stuff. And I was like, I don't know because if this if they lose the rights to this, I'm going to be – I'm going to have to come back here and start all over again. So I, I didn't go with him ultimately. And I, I told him, I said, you're going to be in Cleveland for about three or four years. You'll be at ESPN. And – I was wrong. I said he'd be there by 30. He was there by 30, 30, 30 years and three months. I, I was off three months. <laughs> Put a pin in that story for now. I want to get back to that. But we have to recap a little bit here because this is your first job. Like the, You're a professional at this point. You're not on the Ithaca Beat or Oswego or Syracuse, whatever it might be. You're working with the Albany Colony Yankees, Buck Showalter, Bernie Williams. This is a pro job. You're getting thrown into the fire right here. What were those emotions like for you for the first time doing this? Were you excited, nervous, intimidated, frightened? Yeah, that was a complete novice. I, I had I filmed some of those those uh, things, and uh, Buck was great. I mean, he was very open. I learned a lot from him. Uh, Bernie was unbelievable. We had we had a friendship after that. I mean, it was amazing uh, when they won the championship, and obviously seeing how his career played out, but. Um, I, it was it was a really good time because I I wasn't I wasn't under the impression I wasn't under the pressure of having a deadline. I could just kind of like and, and really I I went there and said, look, I, I don't know if I want to do this. I don't know if I'm accomplished because here's the thing. Now I talk for my job, and I talk, you know, I have to. But there were teachers in my school that, that were convinced I couldn't speak. So I mean, it, it was because I taught myself out, and I'm pretty quiet when I don't do this job. But um, it helped me, it helped me, you know, get through those things and, and, and kind of understand what I needed to do and how I could get better. And, you know, I was fortunate again, I broke in within the first couple of years of, of doing this, I was doing radio, television, and newspapers at a time when, you know, other than maybe Peter Gammons, you know, in the early nineties was nobody, nobody was doing that. You weren't allowed to do that. I wasn't a full-time writer yet at the, at the record. So I was able to, to, to do things I actually served an internship uh, when I was at Hudson Valley um, to do work at Channel 6. And I was a producer for John Green when he was the sports director there. He was still doing his radio show, which morphed into what Roger, Roger Weiland's show is. And he was doing it at night at 7 to 9. So I helped you know, produce his show while he was on the radio and then you know, help you know, do, write some things and get some packages cut. And then they eventually hired me after that for a while. And I was producing his show until he uh, wound up losing his job. For younger listeners, we should add some context here because they probably feel like this is bizarro world. It's like Mars they're talking about. At this time frame, like late 80s, early 1990s, in, in particular the Capital Region, is just just an emergence of sports coverage, a new platform, new mediums, that there's really a thirst for this and you're in the right place at the right time. Not to discredit your work, but it seems like a lot of this has to do with timing in a mid-market that didn't have this type of sports coverage before unbelievable how i got into it I, I, I tell people this and they you know that they're in the business and they, they laugh because they're like how the hell did you do that um within six months after i got hired at the record i want to be coming friends with some people that were working radio in the market 
And the next thing you know, I was helping out a, a radio show on the weekends. So it was a sports show. It was basically like what Roger's doing now with Big Board Sports. He would do national stuff. He'd do local stuff. And I was doing that. I was helping out. And the guy was worked at the at CBS Radio in New York. His name was Brad Tellius. And he was he would come home on the weekends. So he'd work. He lived in the area, but he worked in New York during the week, come home on the weekends. And at the time, he was doing a hockey show. And Joe Juno was playing at RPI, and his English wasn't that great because he, you know, is from he's Canadian, obviously. And he says, you know, can you see if you can do an interview with Joe Juno? And I'm like, all right. And I did, and it turned out really, really well. And he says, I want you to be on the show with me. And then, long story short, he had a falling out with the station. And the next thing you know, I was doing the show, and I made it like an all sports show. So I, I would go to the city, and at the time, you know, the New York sports scene was really good. Mark Messier was playing for the Rangers. Patrick Ewing, uh, the Yankees weren't that great, but I had a relationship because Stump Merrill wanted to become the manager, and I he was there at Albany Colony as well. He was great. You had to always have to give him a filter because he was uh, he, he he liked to swear, and I had to tell him you know a couple times when I did interviews with him, I said you really got to you know be careful because like <laughs> at the time I was doing everything, I really didn't know the business that well, but they weren't their station I was working for didn't really help me with a lot. And sometimes when I was doing the interviews and stuff, I was basically the only person there. So I was producing it and I have to tell him, I said, look, I can't get to the top switch that fast. So you got to keep it clean. He actually did interviews with me when the CBS for radio had or CBS uh, news or should say sports had Saturday afternoon baseball games. And he was giving me interviews like an hour before the games, which he wasn't supposed to do, which was, was good because I had a relationship with him and uh, I was able to do all that stuff. Again, no formal training, just kind of learn on the fly and, made my mistakes on the air, I guess, you know, and, and learned, you know, what worked, what didn't work and uh, how to do interviews with national people. When you're having all these opportunities come your way in your career, is there always a spot in the back of your mind you're thinking that newspapers is going to be your future, that writing is likely going to be your career path? Felt like newspapers was ultimately was going to, where I was going to end up. But, um, you know, at the time I was just taking every opportunity that I could get. I just figured like this is just such good training all the way around, whether it was television or whether it was radio. I did more radio early on. Television came a little bit later on, but um, I was fortunate. I, I, you know, I was able to do things. Um, I pretty much covered everything in the area at some point, either through newspapers or through radio. I was doing I did RPI uh, hockey when they went to the nationals, uh, which was great. They played out in Wisconsin. It was a, it was a wild experience uh, going there. And uh, I, I covered the St. Rose. My first radio gig was was doing them when they had Garth Joseph, who played the NBA. And that was very uh, a unique experience as well. And Coach Berry was great. And Will Brown was the the new newly minted assistant coach after finishing his career at Dowling College. So I got to cover him, cover him in college and then uh, see his first year with Don Bassett uh, on, on Brian Berry's staff at St. Rose. And that was the experience as well. And and then did, our, did the Firebirds. And interestingly enough, I don't think a lot of people know this, but uh, – I, I did the Firebirds as color commentator for three years and served uh, as a play-by-play guy when Mark left to go to Cleveland. But the guy I replaced was Joe Tessator. He left to go to, to Hartford to be the sports director down at Hartford uh, when he left Channel 6, and, and I was the guy who replaced him. So uh, I w- wound up working out pretty well, and obviously Mark and I had wanted to work together for a long time, and then, uh, so we had to do that. And Again, it was uh, by that point, uh, I, was, you know, I, was, I was doing a lot of writing, but I wasn't a full-time guy, and then as, as a record, I did get a, a full-time job uh, in '96. It's remarkable when you look back and think about the great names you've been able to cover through the Capital Region and upstate New York. Also, you've had the opportunity to talk to some of the biggest names in the fight game. Yeah, it was funny because, um, you know, um, one of the great experiences I've had, um, you know, I did a lot of boxing coverage, not only just for the the area papers, but I did some, I did a couple of stories for Ring Magazine back in the day. And, you know, there was a, a, 
fighter from our area that would want to be pretty prominent. He had the fight of the year uh, during his career, and he fought, fought Tyrone Trice. His name was Kevin Pompey. He was a Troy Tiger. He got on ESPN. He had some major fights. And one of the guys uh, that his, his opponent was trained by Angelo Dundee, who obviously was the manager for Sugar Ray Leonard and most notably Muhammad Ali. And I got to interview him and he came into town. I picked him up from the airport. We had dinner. Um, I got to spend like two hours with him. I got like three weeks worth of interview out of him. It was unbelievable talking about you know the, the early fights with, with when Muhammad Ali was Cassius Clay and then turned to Muhammad Ali and all the things he did and all the people that uh, Angelo Dundee trained. And uh, ironically, my first interview question was provided to Muhammad Ali when he came to UAlbany in 1978. I can't remember what I asked him. He was uh, doing his book tour for the greatest, and he had just won back the world championship against Leon Spinks after losing it. And the uh, place was packed. I was uh, 14, year olds, 14 years old at the time, and I remember raising my hand, and I asked him. I still can't remember what I asked, but obviously it was good enough. He brought me up on stage, and that was my first interview question that ever was ever was long before I ever became a reporter. The first person you've ever interviewed is Muhammad Ali. And I'm sure at some point Tyson crossed paths with you. Muhammad Ali, yeah, that's kind of cool. You know, actually, uh, Mike uh, had a fascination with one of my girlfriends back in the day. So uh, we knew each other from like when he was in Casco and he was training. And, and uh, that was a really cool experience to get to see him and watch a lot of his early fights. Uh, and, and, you know, I didn't cover them because it wasn't a reporter yet, but um, I did know him and, and, and shared a lot of time with him and, and uh, it was interesting to see his career path and how quickly it, it, he ascended to the championship. Did he steal your girl? Did he start dating her? No, no, no. She called okay. me in a frame. She didn't know who he was. And she called me. She says, this, this guy is really, uh, he's really uh, talking to me a lot. And when I came there, I said, Mike, my girlfriend. So uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was interesting. Wild. Some of the opportunities, some of the athletes you're able to talk to. Let's talk about actually landing the job at the record. Take us through the interview process of, how you actually find yourself as a professional sports reporter working in the capital region, what that interview process is like trying to, even though you know you don't have as much traditional experience, and I'm talking about the school level, that you're still interviewing for a job and you've got the real world experience now. You know, I was really fortunate at the time I was at the record. I got hired by a guy when I was, when I got hired as a part-timer in 1989 uh, who had uh, worked a lot of big newspapers and then, uh, you know, over that time, um, one of the guys I went to Hudson Valley with and took journalism classes with was Kevin Moran, who was the, was the longtime editor there. And we became friends and he really kind of laid things out on what I needed to do. And, you know, at the time, you know, the record was a lot bigger paper than it is now and uh, much more of a competition for the other, you know, major papers in the area, the Times Union and the Connecticut Gazette. And we did a lot of things. And local coverage, we really did a lot of things that nobody else did. And that's really what got me noticed and ultimately got me hired at the Times Union was what we were doing in terms of local coverage. But, um, you know, Kevin was really good in terms about, you know, look, this is what you need to do. This is the market you need to do. And, you know, we, we need to, we have to be better than everybody else because we don't have the, the, the resources that a lot of these other places have. And um, I, I think the work ethic that I had and, and having that army training and, and, you know, knowing that, you know, this is what I need to do and this is my job and this is how I go about it. And uh, I've always been somebody that wanted to make sure that I did the job better than anybody else or has tried to do it as better as anybody else and, and put the extra effort in. And I think that's something that is very important, especially when you're covering local stuff, because, you know, a lot of these uh, athletes that I've interviewed, especially from the high school vein, they've never been interviewed before a lot of them. And, and I've interviewed 12 year olds that, you know, want to be in really are unbelievably great interviews. But when the time when they're 12 years old, they're give, giving me yes and no. And you got to you got to extract things out. I think the other aspect of, of being a newspaper reporter, especially when you're breaking in, is you're not getting the plum assignments. I mean, I was doing a lot of things that 
you know, other reporters looked down upon or didn't, you know, you got to go cover uh, field hockey today. You have to go cover volleyball. You have to go cover swimming. And if you can make those things interesting, um, even if, you know, you know, there's other people that think that those things aren't are as important, but those athletes, it's just as important for them because they're, they're, they have aspirations just like the basketball players and the football players and they want to go to division one. If you can make those things interesting, then, uh, you know, you'll, you'll be able to do this job. And uh, without any formal training, I had to be a lot better than a lot of other people because I knew that uh, I didn't have anything to fall back on other than, uh, you know, working hard. Now that time has passed, it might be a little bit more difficult to offer the perspective since you do this for a living all the time. But when you're having those interviews with sports that some fans may not follow as closely as others, how did you find that experience, especially young sports fans and young reporters might have this as their first job? Is it easy? Is it frustrating? Did you even enjoy doing it? Guys, I really did enjoy it because... Um, you, again, you're, a lot of times you're telling stories nobody else, you know, nobody else has touched upon. So you're, 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 you know, you're, you're establishing yourself that way. And I have to, you know, I cover 90 schools basically by myself and there's a lot of different sports and it's a lot of different coaches and, and, you know, athletes from year to year and to be able to pay, stay on top of that stuff. You, you give yourself a lot of credibility if you're paying attention and you know, these other sports besides the main sports or what everybody perceives to be the, 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 the important sports. Um, you know, I, I've gotten more enjoyment out of covering things that a lot of other people didn't like to cover um, and, and telling their stories because those people re- remembered it. And, uh, you know, when you needed a story or they had a tip for you, it's easier to get it because you've done something for them that maybe somebody else didn't do for them. Let's go back to that Cleveland story. I know you teased a little bit there. I know your pal Mark Hestershire shared a similar story about this market. But let's talk about your experience and how you almost left the capital region. Before James Allen answers that question, we want to tell you about the people that make this show possible, like Jared Lozier over at Northeastern Insurance. If you're looking to save cash for your upcoming summer vacation, the fall's just around the corner. Maybe you're getting ready for that big NFL game, that college football game. You want to save some cash? The number for Jared Lozier. I like saying it like that. Jared Lozier, 518-956-3753. 518-956-3753. Let's put that accent on it again. Jared Lozier. J-A-R-E-D-L at N-E-Mail.com. So many people looking for that financial advice, looking to save money. It's simple and easy. You listen to the podcast, be like, all right, let's just text this Jared Lozier guy and see if I can save some cash. 518-956-3753. Can I just get a quote? And if he doesn't beat it, then okay. But maybe he's probably going to. Yeah, he is going to. J-A-R-E-D-L at nemail.com. Save some cash for yourself this summer by working with our pal. We loved hanging out with him at the hideaway. Jared Lozier, Northeastern Insurance. And if you're looking to buy that engagement ring, that wedding band, that great piece of jewelry for her, or to celebrate your anniversary, the spot for you is Lily and David Fine Jewelers located at the shops of Wilton. Route 50, stop in, say hello to Alyssa, say hello to David. Those guys, a family-owned and operated business I know from experience. Where I bought my engagement ring, my wedding band, and this summer I'm heading back in, man. I gotta see what the selection looks like. I gotta tell my soon-to-be brother-in-law Rob to stop in, make sure he's taking care of my sister, hooking her up with some great stuff as well. Always the best selection you can find in the Capital Region across upstate New York as well. If you're making that great purchase, make sure you can do it with someone you can trust, someone who's done it before, because for years to come, people are gonna remember it. They're gonna remember the proposal, and hopefully, if your ring's good enough, they'll remember that even more. They will. Trust me. I know. Lily and David Fine, jewelers family owned and operated business. Shout out to Alyssa. Shout out to David. We stop in. Tell me you heard about it from right here on Getting There with Gaz. All right, James Allen. Let's hear the answer to that question. 
Well, at the time, you know, Mark was, you know, looking to branch out and I kept telling him, I said, you, you gotta go. You're too good to be in this market. And that, you know, it's no detriment to other people in this market, but I just, he just, I just knew he was, you know, he was destined for big things. And at the time, Albany Broadcasting was making him, he was a sports director, but he, they were making him do a morning show called Mark in the Morning. And he was having to do news stuff and all these different interviews. And, and he was you know, thinking like, you know, I want to go, I want to go to, you know, and, and fortunately, the guy who uh, we worked with previously that worked at Albany Broadcasting was now working at 3WE in Cleveland, and he hired him. And then, you know, he wanted me to help him out. I helped Mark, you know, do his broadcast here and did packages for him on Siena and UAlbany and, and, you know, Giants and other things that were going on. And uh, we won a couple of awards for you know, New York State uh, Broadcasting. And, uh, you know, they have, he have, they you know, I got offered to do a job out there. And it was just one of those things where I, I, I just felt like he wasn't going to be there that long. And I didn't know what their rights situation was going to be because their rights were coming up in nine months of that time. And again, if I don't, if they don't retain the rights to the Indians, which they, of course they did, but you don't know that at the time, you don't know how the market's going to go. And I'm going to a place that I don't know. And I know Mark's not going to be there that, that long. And I take the big risk and go out there and then he lose the rights and I'm, I'm stuck because I have to start back here and I have to go right back to the bottom of the totem pole and work my way back up. And I, at that point, I, I, I just didn't feel like it was a good risk. And it was funny because I was also doing interviews at the time. For ESPN was bringing their .com in and they were doing other things and, and expanding and they ultimately went to the radio things. And I did a, a series of interviews there. I was a finalist like four times for different jobs and, and uh, didn't get them. But uh, you know, I stopped pursuing it after a while because I just kept becoming a finalist. And I was like, this, this is getting to be excruciating. I'm driving, I'm working all night and then driving to Hartford and doing these interviews. And, and ultimately I said, you know, I like this area a lot and I'm just going to stay here. Let's sit on that for a second because it's a really good lesson to learn about potential market jumps and moves. And especially when you're young and your responsibilities in your early to mid 20s aren't the same responsibilities you might have when you're in your early 30s. You might have a house, a wife, a kid, a family, your 40s that you might have developed a following in a certain area and everything else. For you in this case, you're getting so close to these opportunities that are in different markets and you might move on, but you hit a point that you might feel like you've got one foot here and one foot there. And mentally, some of these interview processes play just as big as a factor that how much do I focus on this if my new focus is that? And why do I keep getting passed for these opportunities? Did you just find a point where you're like it was actually hurting your work there in the capital region? And people knew. I mean, obviously, people, you know, in the media, they sort of knew what was going on and they knew I was doing these interviews. So I didn't want it to be affecting, you know, what I was doing here. And uh, I, you know, I had been hired at the record as a full time writer and and I didn't want that to be something that was going to weigh in on, on, on that. And and then I was doing other things. And then obviously at the turn of the century, uh, a couple, you know, a couple of years into it, then then Time Warner started doing football games locally. So I was doing TV. So I've been on doing that since 03. And uh, that changed things too. And then ultimately, um, you know, it was interesting because right before I got hired at the Times Union, I was almost ready to leave um, because I was getting kind of fed up. But I wanted to, you know, do something a little bit different and a little bit maybe bigger. And uh, fortunately, they created a job for me because uh, at the time they had been trying to, like the, the editor at the time, Bill Cowan, was trying to hire me for for four years and wasn't able to get me in there. And then ultimately, they created a position. Um, because they were they weren't really doing as well in the local local uh, sports scene in terms of covering high school stuff as they probably wanted to do, and they saw what I was doing at the record, and they created a job, and I was actually the last reporter that they 
created a position for us. You know, that hasn't happened since, and that was in, in 2006. It's still rare, 15 years later, to have a news outlet, a newspaper outlet, television station, radio, whatever it is, to build a position around you and your strengths and everything that happens there. So even though this is happening, even though you get the opportunity for the Times Union, even though you're going to stay in the market, is there still some temptation of, okay, this is good, but if these people are starting to recognize my work, maybe other people across the country are too. I almost took a job in Arizona. I was I was being interviewed for basically what I was doing at the Times Union. They were doing expanding to doing to, to television and doing radio, high school sports in, the, in, in that area. And I almost took it. And uh, it's funny because I was on vacation and Bill Callen, I had my cell phone off. I didn't, I, I turned it off because I, I never, I, at that point, I hardly ever had a vacation and went to Maryland and, uh, I heard these frantic messages on my cell phone when I turned it back on. It's like, hey, I think we got you a position. And you're like, you know, we'd get a hold of me, you know. So, um, and it worked out. Yeah, they created a position uh, to, to me to do this. And uh, I wanted to pay him back. I said, look, you know, I, I am covering the entire area now. I was at the record, I was covering 40 schools. I wasn't covering the entire section two. Now I'm covering section two by myself. We're the only paper in the area that covers every every high school in the, uh, in this, in the area. So uh, huge responsibility. Because again, you're by yourself. You better know what you're doing because, you know, if, if these schools don't think you know anything about them, then they're not going to be as interested in, in sharing their stories with you. And you have to be able to, to uh, earn that trust and, and you have to put the work in. Uh, I think I've been able to do that. You stay in the capital region. Was there a moment like looking back that when this position is created for you and you've created this content for years now and you've built a following that, wow, you know what, like the people that I'm about to work for at the Times Union care about what I do, value what I do, and they want me to do this. And this is having an impact on our community that I work in and, and people are noticing what I'm doing. Yeah, it's funny because uh, at, the, at the time uh, there was a few people that they, when I got hired there, they, they weren't enamored with people that came from other papers in the area. And, uh, you know, so I got a little bit of that, you know, attitude, not so much from sports, but from other people in the paper. And and I'll never forget uh you know, a few of the people that were there at the time said, you know, you're a specialist, you, you know, they brought you in here for a reason. So, um, you know, and I felt that obligation because look, they did create a job for me and I almost did leave the market. So um, I have to make sure that I do do this job well and, and uh, make sure that I, I'm, I'm, you know, giving back the trust they put in me by uh, delivering. And uh, you know, I think I've been able to do that. From the mid-90s to the mid-2000s now, when we're taping this in July of 2022, what's changed at all in the high school sports scene? I'm not just talking about the athletes. I'm talking about coaches and events and even parents. Um, I think the, the, the media markets, you know, and the, and the responsibilities have changed a lot. I mean, I remember when I started, you know, you, you had a Tandy computer. You needed to get to a phone. Uh, sometimes you had to dictate on the phone. Um, you know, you didn't have the, 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 the sophisticated, uh, you know, things we have, we have the, obviously Google chats, we have uh, Twitter, we have Facebook, we have all those things we didn't have back when I started out. It's gotten more sophisticated from that. And the parents, I mean, maybe they've gotten a little bit more demanding because, uh, you know, they see they put a lot of money into their athletes, you know, their, their children, and they want to see them, uh, you know, get the results. And so they get a little critical maybe sometimes, but you know, that's always been there. I think that's, maybe it's just what I'm hyped up a little bit more because of, you know, the scholarship money and, and the things that they feel like, you know, hey, my kid's not getting enough attention. And I've had people tell me that, you know, hey, you know, you need to put make sure you put in the extra uh, stolen base that my son doesn't have in his stats because the colleges are going to notice that. They don't care about that stuff. <laughs> I try to explain it to people. It's like, really, they're not really worried about if your son has 17 or 18 stolen bases. Uh, they're, they're recruiting him for a little bit different reason than that. And um, 
you know, I think the landscape has, has changed a lot in terms of expectations from not only from from schools, but from from parents and, and from the athletes themselves on what they expect. And, um, you know, there's been a lot more coverage. I mean, back when I was doing high school stuff you know, and early on, there was a lot of things that were getting covered, but it wasn't maybe as expansive as it is now. And obviously the television markets have changed their stance because back in the day, they were hardly paying any attention to the high school stuff. It was more national stuff. And, hey, look, you know, get the Yankee scores in, the, the Knicks and and the Rangers and, and all the Boston teams and things like that, they were only, you know, there'd be like a little snippet of uh, local sports in there occasionally, but now it's, you know, when we were doing stuff at the record, and that was one of the things that we, I think we did. And that's one of the things I think the times you didn't notice, we were doing a, a football section called game day and it was on the weekends and it was a wraparound, you know, so we did like previews. We did huge stories and, and trend stories and, and it was a four page wrap, you know, leading into the weekend. And then the next thing you know, all these television, you know, stations started doing weekend shows and football shows. Those weren't in existence until, you know, 15, 20 years ago. And those were things that hadn't been touched on. So, you know, the market has changed a lot. And, and there's a lot more local coverage, especially from high school's perspectives than there were back uh, when I started out. How much, if at all, did the emergence of social media play a factor in high school sports coverage getting more love when people start looking at Facebook and Twitter and other outlets and thinking, wow, we're getting a lot of engagement and a lot of views and a lot of people really care about this content? Well, you know, again, I think, you know, the TVs, I think they, they, they notice these things. They notice that there there is a lot of attention. They notice that the newspapers, you know, are putting a lot of attention into this. And, and I think they realize that, uh, you know, it was it was an untapped you know, market that they could really, uh, you know, dive into and, and get a lot of positive results out of. You know, it's amazing when I think back to when I watched t television as I was transitioning into becoming a reporter and where, how they, their local broadcasts were structured and how they were then to where they are now, it's completely different. It's much more local based. And uh, I think that's a lot of how this market's changed. And, uh, you know, we don't really have, I mean, you know, we've had some minor league teams and we had, you know, and, and, and the different arena teams and things like that. But, you know, we don't have a, we're not an NBA market. We're not an NFL market. So you gotta, you gotta be able to touch on the local things because those, those are the things that, you know, a lot of people around here care about. And I think that they, you know, a lot of TV stations and radio um, and obviously newspapers, but certainly the other, the, the more uh, the, the, the TV and radio realm, I think understood that and, and really utilize it where they weren't utilizing it before because I think I understood that they were getting a lot of attraction from it. I know people might go back years from now and listen to this answer, whether it's a year or five years or 10 years from now, but do you have a vibe of what the future of high school sports coverage could look like? What platforms, what medium? Guys, I really don't know because, you know, the market's changing so much in, in all media markets, not just newspapers, but um, high, you know, high school sports are big, but, you know, the high school landscape may change because, there's a lot of things that are going against it right now. Um, official shortages. There's not a lot of there's there's a lot of older officials, and I don't see a lot of younger ones coming in. And I know the state's really worried about that. They haven't even made they made advertisements uh, on TV and radio, you know, saying, "Hey, look, you know, we need the, the parents to be stop stop being so negative because we're losing officials." And you think that that's not something that uh, could could weigh into the the equation, but it very well could. If you don't have enough officials, then it's going to be hard to do high school events. There's also sports like basketball where the off-season things are way more important than um, what the high school season is in terms of recruiting. It didn't used to be that way. I mean, I remember when Dean Smith would come and watch Sam Perkins play when he was playing at Shaker because there wasn't an AU, AU circuit then. Now it's, it's more, much more prevalent. The coaching, uh, their, their time off is when they do their recruiting. Um, so 
you know, the, the aspects of that uh, change things as well. I don't really know. No, um, you know, the newspaper business is going to change eventually. I think we're going to be a lot more. It's going to be a lot more online than it is the actual newspaper. I think you know, the Times Union is kind of fortunate because capital region, capital with the with the politics, and I think that I think that helps. And there's a lot of people that still like to buy the newspaper, but um, there's a lot of other places where the newspapers are, are sort of being weeded out, and that changes coverage. And it's interesting because. I've had people like, you know, say, oh, your, your job is going to, you know, going to come defunct, you know, people will show up on the telephone and that's, and then they're immediate, that's their camera, that's their, uh, that's their interviewing device and that's how they do things. And that's maybe where the reporters are going to come. And I hope that doesn't come the case because I think there's going to be a lot of stories that are not going to be done properly. If that's the case, if they think that somebody that's an amateur reporter or somebody that doesn't have professional training can do certain jobs and certain things like break stories about bigger issues that won't that they won't happen if that's the case if that's where the media goes it's something i hope young sports reporters or people starting their careers off really keep an eye on if there's not a following in that respective area you're in an upstate new york maybe you could start that and start building a following with your own way whatever that might be through a social media platform through a traditional media platform it could be any one of those things this question is probably going to feel a little awkward but do you think there's ever going to be another james allen somebody who does your job for 30 plus years in the same market and bringing this type of high school sports coverage to a city in upstate New York? I think there's two phases of that question. Will there be somebody that will do this for 30 plus years? Yeah, I'll probably, I think there will probably be somebody else that will do it for 30 years. I don't know if they'll do all three things. You know, maybe they won't do television and radio in addition to newspapers. But I think the bigger thing is I, I'm still amazed that I got to do this because I did. I never went through a traditional path at all. I mean, I, you know, I, I still kind of like – laugh at how I, I got into things and how I was fortunate that I had people around me that trusted me enough to give me these opportunities where usually you had to go to school for four years and then serve an internship. And then maybe you get an opportunity to do work at the AC Yankees or you'll maybe get an opportunity to, to do, you know, radio or television or, or cover a team uh, radio wise as a, as a, as a color commentator with no formal training at all. Um, that, that, that to me, I don't know if that's going to happen because, you know, the way the markets, the way things have, have changed in media and, you know, there's so many kids that graduate now from college that have 40 degrees in, in, in communications or, you know, broadcasting or whatever it is, and they don't get jobs. And, and I'm, I feel very fortunate that I was able to get in the way I did in an unconventional manner and be able to stick it out this long. So whether it's someone who's going to go to a four-year college or university, get that broadcast degree, maybe it's someone who's going to go to the service like you did and then pursue it post or during What's the best advice you can offer somebody to get where you are in your career? One of the things you really have to do is you got to put in the work. You just have to because, um, I, again, I always felt like I had to outwork everybody because I didn't have the background that a lot of other people had. So I, I had to. I felt like I wanted to do it. I wanted to do the job well no matter what, whether I had, you know, eight years of college or, or uh, you know, the way I did things where I was in college at the time when I got hired and sort of like it got where I was working so much that it was hard to me to complete my degree because I was working so many hours at the paper and doing radio and then diving into some TV stuff as well. Um, you know, it, it, I think you have to, you have to develop relationships. Um, I think that's very, very important. You have to be somebody that, you know, look, I, I've been able to break a lot of stories over the time because I had good relationships with people and I didn't things right. I didn't take off the record comments and use them on the record. I've seen other reporters do that. I think that's just the, that's the, one of the tenets of our, you know, being a reporter. Breaking that is you have no trust. You'll never have any credibility. But a couple of the guys that I know that did that, they didn't care because they weren't going to be around here anyway. So they didn't, they, they, they broke those rules. I would never do that. Um, I feel like I've had developed relationships with people 
that they know they can trust me about things and they know that they can tell me something because if it's off the record, it stays off the record. And, uh, you know, I've been doing this so long that uh, I think I've been able to develop really strong relationships with a lot of people. And I think that's important. Whatever whatever you do, and, and it doesn't have to be sports, it can be anything. You better, you better have trust. You better be able to build relationships with people because if you can't develop sources and you can't, you know, you're never going to be able to get ahead in doing this um, to be able to break stories and, and be able to tell things that maybe other people can't tell. James Allen, since we first spoke, got an opportunity to talk in person. We had a nice career day to school. I pulled you aside after and said, hey, uh, I know you do a lot of hits here locally. Can we just talk for like 45 minutes about your career? All you've got is stories for days. I want to learn how you did it. I want to hear this thing. I've been working on trying to get you on this podcast for about a year and a half, and you finally did it. It lived up to the You are the, one of the few people I've ever asked for a second potential interview where we're going to move away from the career stuff and just tell stories of the capital region of the athletes and the things you've seen. So thank you for doing this. Don't be surprised if your phone rings again. Thank you for fighting through what was a mic explosion on our first taping. You're a pro as always and looking forward to talking to you again soon. I, I appreciate it, guys. And hopefully uh, we'll have another explosive interview if we do another one.